for the other night I came back at three, whole house was awake because everyone's got a cold. You know what, like, I'm sure you've experienced this with a newborn. When little ones get colds and their noses are blocked up, it's like the end of the world. Like a blocked nose is like, well, we can't go on. And I say, well, you can. You're going to breathe through your mouth, which you do a lot. And they're like, no, but and they're like, look, listen, listen. I can't breathe through my nose. Well, breathe through your mouth. <laughs> so I get back at 3.30 in the morning and there's the three of them up. I'm like, can't breathe. You I just can't breathe. I'm like, well, it seems like you're doing okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so just as I want to get to sleep, I got these two five-year-olds and their dad. Also, everyone's wandering around with a cold and I'm thinking, good Lord. So it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, gosh, it's been a funny old time, isn't it? But I've got to say, in terms of the tennis, all the headlines going into Miami, especially on the men's side. There's no one there. No one's turning up. All the top 10, well, <laughs> five of the top 10 aren't turning up. The prize money's been reduced and everyone's unhappy. And it's It's been a cracker. I mean, my focus is, well, 100% on the men's side. Yours is a little bit more split. But I mean, what a talk. We are talking, what is it? It's the second day of the quarterfinals day as we call this. It's been a cracker. It has been. Yeah, it's been it's been great. Women are through to the semis, aren't they? Are they already through to the semis? Oh yeah, because they're ahead because then... Their semis are on Saturday. Yes. No, no, finals on Saturday. What am I talking finals about? Finals on Saturday. I knew what you meant. Finals. <laughs> finals. I didn't so need to explain that for anyone. <laughs> they are a step ahead of where they Yeah, they kicked off just a little right? bit yeah. a little bit earlier. So the semi-final yes. lineup is set. So should I fill you in on the women's then? Yeah, come on, fill me in. Barty, Svitolina, Andrescu and Sakri. Sakri taking out Osaka. Wow. So that yeah. was, of course, big news. Um, but after she came back from having, she was at least four match points down against Jesse Pagula in some epic, epic battle. I mean, it was uh, it was amazing. So awesome for her to back up that win with a win over the best player in the world, or the number two player in the world. I mean, you know, Barty's number one. Um, so that was uh, that was huge. But a bit of an odd match for Osaka. She lost the first at six. Love, very yeah. strange. She basically missed. Um, an awful lot. It was not. It was not a great match for her. But you know, you got to give you know, huge credit to Sakri because she did not give her any room to to improve as well. So, big win for Sakri coming through there and uh, making se- uh, the semis. And I think, yeah, sort of really well earned. And Andrescu against Cerebes Tormo. So she was down coming through. She beat Muguruza the round before that. I'm telling you, now that Osaka's out, Andrescu's going to win this thing. I was calling that from fairly early on as well. Um, absolutely extraordinary to see her find her levels. 15 months away. Yes, she's played a few tournaments. It's not her first tournament back. She's played a few events, but she's not played masses of matches. To dig that out against Muguruza, who has more wins this season than anybody else. I think she's got 20 wins on the board and is playing absolutely brilliantly. It was amazing. It's just the way, lots of people are talking about it on social media, but it's just the way that she can just work it out. She just problem solves. And when she gets into a position in the match where you go, she's going to have to problem solve here and figure this out because what she's doing isn't working. She just does. So against Muguruza, she was talking about how she hit more to the backhand. I was commentating on that and I didn't pick that up at all because, (laughs) which maybe I'm just a bit dumb, but... um, it, but because we were distracted by the fact that she had increased her pace of shot dramatically, she'd increased her intensity dramatically and her aggression levels. She might have also been going a bit more to the backhand, but she, <laughs> there was other stuff happening as well. I'm not disagreeing <laughs> with her. I'm just saying that the focus was on something different. But she's just so smart at doing that. And do you know what I was looking up in terms of records? 
absolutely extraordinary is her record from being like a set down it's unbelievable like it her she we know that she's great in deciders she wins like almost all deciding sets but she wins more matches from a set down like then she loses it's just incredible like if a set down she's still favorite to win the match so you, you just don't need to worry she could be a set and a breakdown and you go nah she's got time would they would she in terms of the draw would she have met Osaka in the final or are they in the same part of the draw? No, that would have been semis. So it's Andrescu against Sakari now. Because I'm just, I really, I'm hoping in the in the months, weeks, months and years to come, Andrescu and Osaka, I mean, that that could be fabulous in terms of a rivalry. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, this is what I was talking about before, wasn't it? For me, Osaka playing her best tennis on a hard court is head and shoulders above everybody else, with the exception of Andrescu when she's back fit and healthy and can compete week in, week out. And I think we've seen that so far uh, in this tournament, especially if she goes on to, she goes on to win this tournament. That is outrageous. Come, to come back, and we were talking about how the women's draw is absolutely stacked. I know we've also talked about how the men's draw is not, but the women's draw is completely stacked. Everybody's here. Well, with the uh, one exception of Serena, but everybody's here. And it's, yeah, I mean, what an unbelievable achievement to just come back and win one of the biggest tournaments. I tell you what, Andrescu, she should make a big pitch. And Osaka, they should make a big pitch for all of the whole WTA, all Grand Slams to all move to North America. Wow. And just play on US hard courts wow. and Canadian courts. And then, and then they can just compete themselves and they'll be miles ahead of everybody because... It's um, oh, it's awesome. That might face uh, might face a little bit of opposition. Um, two other people to mention: Lena Svitolina. I think she's she's doing really well. She's having a great run. I just I I want Svitolina. I don't know. There's just something about Svitolina. I don't know what is that stopping her. I know it's really Grand Slam level that we talk about her not being able to clear that that final hurdle. But and I know she's been through the a fairly recent breakup with Gail Monfils and lots of changes going on for her. So I'd really like to see her put in a, a very good run and, and go through it. And Ash Barty, we were talking about, or maybe a little bit more me saying, I've, I've got some question marks about Ash Barty. She was out for most of last year and then didn't deliver as she would have expected or liked in Australia. But look at the draw she's had to come through. Coming through against Ostapenka, Ostapenko, 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 then Azarenka, I think I got those two mixed up, and then Sabalenka. I mean, if nothing else, Ash Barty must be exhausted by now. Yeah, she's had some epic matches, right? Some three yeah. setters as well. But yeah, looking really good is, is Barty, absolutely. You know, she's always a, a little bit quieter because she doesn't go on to court and play with such brute force or such a high level of intensity. You kind of... Even when she's playing well, even when she won the French Open, you're not looking at her thinking she's going to win this tournament because it's not that obvious way of being really aggressive and obvious way of playing well, which we see with even an Andreescu. I mean, she just nails the ball around from the back of the court. She also has other levels. But same with Osaka, Muguruza. I mean, most players, or even Svitolina, for example, who doesn't have a big game, but she has all of that super intensity from the back of the court. And you sort of... You can look at that and go, whew, she's playing well. And Barty is playing well, but she just does it so quietly, doesn't she? Because it's yeah, just, it's a yeah. clever way of playing. And she's just out there being like, hey, you know what? I'm really good at sport, all sport, but particularly this one. And <laughs> that's what's going to happen. Anything with a ball, let me show you what I can do. So, uh, so yeah, that's fun too. There was, I think, a few days into the tournament, WTA talked about how their rankings 
are going to change and how things were going to wriggle around. Because a lot of people were saying, well, how does Osaka become number one at the end of this tournament? This was a few days ago. It was at first very confusing. <laughs> I read it a few times. And I was thinking, I don't, I don't quite get this. I don't know how. I'd... And then I had to, I had to go on. Um, I did a an interview and they it was funny I was asked to do an interview with the BBC World Service I was like yeah not a problem you know I'm so saturated with Miami and tennis brilliant 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 and they normally send through the questions the kind of thing we're going to ask about so a few minutes before they're all about the women's game and and obviously I've only seen the men's so suddenly I'm like oh wow okay so I immediately and one of the questions was basically explain the new ranking system for the WTA and I had remembered being in the commentary box earlier talking to my my friend and colleague saying gosh that sounds confusing. Lucky we don't have to explain that. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> I'm going through social media because, and as you know, you've got maybe four questions and about two minutes to get everything in. So it's not like I've got an hour to explain it. So I was having to wriggle through it. And it was basically that Osaka had to get to the final. That was the minimum. Osaka had to get to the final, then a few other things. Then it depended as or where Ash Barty wins it. Then obviously that Barty's still number one and it doesn't matter anymore but yeah for because what they've done is that points have just started will start to drop off now so yes. there's a there's an air of which is the simplest way of saying it but there is becoming an air of normality about it would that be fair yes I think yeah would would be would be fair but I think it's a very good explanation yeah it's pretty solid points what? have started dropping off things have started moving again that's yes. it we're, we're off well, and running we're not frozen anymore no we're not frozen we've started to defrost before we get on to the men's side did you see this story yesterday which I actually saw it mid-commentary and I started reading the article out loud rather than commentating because I've never seen anything like this before okay well probably not because <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> Croatian tennis player Oleksandra Olienkova mm. has sold part of her right arm for more than $5,000 she sold exclusive lifetime ownership of part of her right arm uh, I've been saying this for years it must be on a pod somewhere how much would people pay for a tattoo for their logo like on your forehead like a never, Nike tick on your head you've never said this on our yes I have no you haven't I would back you no you haven't come on I feel really bad that she's done it for $5,000 though because well, we feel like it should be more than that well she's she's ranked but she's ranked 658 so maybe yeah. at 658 $5,000 is a good return or are you still thinking not? I absolutely. Not. I mean, who? No, you'd get your as part of your arm tattooed for five thousand dollars. Well, she sold the section of skin. I mean, this makes me feel a little bit queasy when they say section of skin. She sold the section of skin between her elbow and shoulder on the inside of her right mm -hmm. arm, where the owner can commission a tattoo or temporary body art. Oh temporary body art oh so you could or it can be permanent uh -huh. it, it... so but you could that, that's that's a much better model you could you could change it all the time you could get sort of like a a henna tattoo or something that would last a few months and then you could redo it so you could have nike plastered there for a little bit and then you could have something else ah oh, i like it but that's the whole thing isn't it if you've got imagine if she sold it's it's a lifetime she sold it for a lifetime so if you've got an advert for you don't want a permanent... Well, yeah, that's I think, where lifetime's I think, worth more than $5,000. Well, I think the advertiser would be ridiculous to make her have a permanent tattoo because they might have a new product or the product they're selling might go bust and what do you do? Put a line through it? I mean, you can't... <laughs> scribble it out. <laughs> Not available anymore. It's... I, I just... But even... 
I don't. So would you? And what if she gets the like number one in the world? In what sense? If she gets the number one in the world and, and she's yes. got this this tattoo on her arm, the, the company's only paid five thousand dollars for it, and they're getting free advertising. She'd probably wear a sleeve, cover it up. Well, no, she can't because you've sold it for life. You're not going to cover it up if you've you've given them exclusive rights for your lifetime. If you put a sleeve on it, then surely you're going against your lifetime deal. Yeah, you know? I mean, she's not. Well, she sort of is playing the long game by getting a tattoo, but not playing the long game really. If you know what I mean. Well, it's a bit. I say it's interesting. We don't. She's selling ad space for an arm. We don't know if it's temporary or permanent. Look, if they say t- uh, permanent, she's got it. Would you have done that? Uh, no. Not not for five thousand dollars. I've always said that you can definitely earn some serious cash by but doing would it. Right? Would you have done it five thousand dollars? You're six hundred thirty eight in the world if it's temporary. So you put something on, you can take it off. You put something else on. It's not really going to. Oh well, yeah, well of course. That's just like wearing a. So patch. It's not really going to bother you, is it? If you just have to no, that's stick fine. a temporary. T- it's it's a good idea, but I don't know whether I'd do it. And what do you keep doing? Yeah. Other bits of your body. I'm, I mean, Alexander Bublik has a sleeve of tattoos. So you might say, well, if he's going to have a sleeve of tattoos, you might as well be earning money off them. Um, yes, but, you know, you have a long life to live after after your tennis career. <laughs> so. but no, but if, it, if it's temporary, then... Once your career's over, you don't have to... But it depends what it is. Some things... Can you imagine some things, some products to sort of have to tattoo on your body? I'm, I, mean, I imagine she gets to sort of okay it. Like she, it's, not just, it's not just a, a blind auction bid or something, is it? Where she just has to deal with whatever comes up. That would be horrendous. It's kind of sort of like cat food. Or you could do that. You could, she could make, turn it into like a bidding thing. Well, I think she has and she got $5,000. I think oh, I think it was okay. an auction, but no, I, I don't know. I don't know if that's worth it. But before plan. before we move on, because yes. uh, I can feel you wanting to move on, got to pick a winner because we both picked Osaka. Oh, so we got Barty Svitolina. That's one semi final, uh, and you got Andrescu Sakari. Now I've already laid my cards out. Andrescu's winning this tournament, and if she does, this will be outrageous. But uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. I'm going to oh. say um, Andrescu's winning it. Uh, I. Uh, I just to be different I'm going to go Barty because she's she's been through some enormous hitters so far she's got the guile as you see she kind of slides in there gets the job done gets out of there I think Barty wants to make a, a statement she's a defending champion from 2019 um, but Andrescu a Barty Andrescu final would be wouldn't lovely. it be good though because that is the world number one and Andreescu gets to sort of go, okay, right, here's the world number one, and this is what I can do. So, uh, yeah, oh, that would be great. I, I'd love that. And, I, and as much as I love what Zachary's done, and we, we always like Svitolina doing well, um, I feel like um, it's Andreescu's. Okay, so we've got Andreescu against Barty. In the men's, so we're a little bit behind. We've got quarterfinals to play today. We've got Sebastian Korda, the 20-year-old son of Petr Korda against Andre Rublev, my pick for the tournaments, then the fourth seed. And then we've got Hubert Herkatch, Hubi, against Stefanos Tsitsipas. And then a semi-final that is set is Roberto Bautista Agut, who's now 3-0 and against Daniel Medvedev and Yannick Sinner at the age of 19. And that's... So we're going to have a first-time Masters winner on the men's side. That's exciting, isn't it? It's exciting. I think this has been a really exciting men's draw. Yeah, well, absolutely. We were talking about the opportunities, but it has been fantastic and some really brilliant stories in there. But before we talk about sort of Sinner and Corder, which I'm sure we will, Bautista Agu, I mean, the the guy's record against the top players. I mean, we always think about something like a Nick Kyrgios has got a great record against the big guys. 
But like Bautista Agut is just, I mean, he's really good at playing them apart from Rafa. Is it Rafa that he struggles against or is Rafa that he beats? I can't remember. Um, <laughs> Don't throw out your random things towards me. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> Bautista Agut, I haven't done any of his matches, so the information is not fresh in my mind. Um, but yeah, to get that sort of record against Medvedev is absolutely, absolutely huge. So Big props to him. Well, you see, he's an annoying player, isn't he? He's a, he's a frustrator. He can be a war. We talk about that with regards to Daniel Medvedev, but so can Roberto Bautista. And he's quite, he's quite an understated player. You know, he gets out there, he frustrates, he annoys, and then more often than not, he can he can get the win. And, and Medvedev was asked actually before the match. You know, it's quite strange for you. It's quite rare that you're actually facing someone you haven't beaten. And Medvedev sort of came back with a little glint in his eye and said, well, he's 12, I think, in the world at the moment, Roberto Bautista. He has been in the top 10 and he's the seventh seed. And he said, oh, well, there's a reason he's not as high as maybe he should be. And he thought, oh, OK, game on. And then he was able to get the job done in straight set, which is really, really impressive. He knocked out John Nisner a little bit earlier in the tournament. And he's one of these people that just quietly goes about his business he doesn't pull up trees he doesn't really make headlines but he just gets out there and he defeats Medvedev who is in his first masters as a top seed and it's Bautista again the semi-finals rather than Medvedev yes and I've got it the right way around uh, he struggles against Rafa I was pretty sure uh, but your Most Facebook people struggle not. against Rafa yeah but, but Bautista Agut's got three wins against Djokovic hang yes but but where does Roberto Bautista Agut hail from well, yeah, exactly. He's he's Spanish, so it's not going to so be. So the chances are it's, it's not going to end well against Rafa. Yeah, I think that's yeah. that's fair enough. Yeah. But he's won his last three matches against top tenors in Doha, yeah. beating Rublev and team. So, yeah, I mean, huge from, from Bautista Agu, but sort of not surprising. Like, he's not phased by the top guys apart from Apart from Rafa. From Rafa. Yannick Sinner, who, who will face, doesn't seem to be phased by anybody. I mean, he's got the best poker face in the business. He's only 19 years of age. He's got an awesome game. And against Alexander Bublik, it was hysterical because Bublik did everything. And when I say everything, I mean everything you could possibly do on a tennis court, he did, including a 105 mile per hour forehand return. After which he looked up to the chair and said, can you tell me how fast it was? He looked at the serve clock and he said, was that the speed of my forehand? 117 miles an hour. And uh, Simon Canavan in the chair said, no, that's the serve clock. <laughs> and he said, can you tell me how fast the forehand was? But he's, he's a lot of fun to watch. But Sinner just played his own game. Just wore him down, wore him out. He's not, the mental strength that Sinner showed in that contest especially is incredible. And the guy is, he's still a teenager. He's so good though. Just so, so good. So good. I mean, he really so is, uh, he's the real deal, isn't he? Um, I did the public match against Fritz, um, which was which was good yeah. fun. So lots of sort of big hitting, um, big serving and uh yeah, some some drop shots and one one underarm serve from Bublik, which was interesting because Fritz complained about it. But Fritz actually won the point. But Fritz complained about it because it was put in and Fritz wasn't ready and he was still walking to the line because normally when they throw in underarm serves, whether it's Kyrgios or Bublik, they bounce the ball. They bring their racket and ball to meet as if they're about to start serving. And instead of them actually coming to meet fully, they'll then go with the underarm serve. But they've bounced the ball as you're in your ready position. He did none of that. He just sort of 
like just looked up Fritz was sort of nearish the, the line and just popped it in so I felt like Fritz did have a right to complain about that but Bublé didn't do it again after that so he didn't get to see any any other attempts we had someone from the crowd cry out because we didn't get any underarm serves in the first set and it was a tight one that Bublé should have won but Sinner stood firm turned it around got the set on the tie break someone said Alex underarm serve nice and nothing but then in the, in the second set we had a raft of them Bublé looked like the tank was pretty much empty and he was still annoyed from losing the first set that he served for and was broken and then lost and it was just underarm serve after underarm serve there's it within sort of two games and they they foxed he won the point every time apart from the one that landed in the net but some of the outrageous shots that guy was doing I mean it's it's almost as though I don't, I don't know if this is possible that he's got because Bublik's still young he's only 23 He's now at his career high. It's almost as though he's got too many weapons. Can he have too many? It feels like he's got too many possible decisions to make on a tennis court. Definitely. My brain would turn to mush trying to run through all of those options. (laughs) It's one of the lines that I always sort of wheel out when I do a public match is that he can hit any shot that you've ever thought of and plenty that you've never thought of. It's just, I mean, some of them are just absolutely outrageous. He's so, so skilled, but he's climbing up the rankings because he is just managing that skill so much better. And it will take a little bit longer, I'm sure, but he's, he's definitely managing it better. I would say like most people would call it like reining it in, but it's just more redirecting the skills. Just needs to know when to use it and when to leave it uh, and that sort of thing. But look, he says he wants to entertain himself and he, Looks like he's thoroughly entertained out there. Well, he says his guilty pleasure is is partying. His uh, his dad has been his coach since he picked up a racket at the age of at the age of two, and I imagine coaching them would be interesting and frustrating at the same time because he's he's slightly rogue at times, but he's fascinating to watch. And at the end, um, Sinner said to Bublik, "You're not human," and then Bublik said, "I'm not human." you're not human. He said, you're about 15 and you're playing like this. <laughs> Which point Senna was like, yeah, a little bit older, but thanks very much. <laughs> when, you get, <laughs> when you get to my age, you want the age reduced. But Senna was like, uh, yeah, a little bit older. Um, bottom half of the draw, we're still a little way back. We've got another real deal in Sebastian Corder. I think he's known as Seb or, or Sebi Corder, who's come from this amazing sporting family, mum and dad, sisters of the golfers, spent time in the off-season with Andre Agassi and Steffi Graf. He's into his first Masters quarter-final. He's just got his first Masters, he's just got his first top 10 win in Diego Schwartzman. And again, another of these really cool-headed characters who 100% looks like the real deal. Looks so good, doesn't he? My word, he's really improved like his movement as well. Like, I mean, so many areas. Just such a fascinating player to watch he just looks sort of fully formed almost you know like there's still definitely areas to improve but just that his game is just there it doesn't look like he's having a bit of a blinder and you go oh god he's playing well this week it's much more sort of like yeah this is just how he plays now and he's better than everyone well not everyone (laughs) I like that he looks fully formed he certainly does at what six foot four or whatever he comes in at who did you who did you tip to win this it seems like a lifetime ago well, um, on the pod, I said Medvedev. Uh, with our ATP Tennis radio picks, I picked Shapovalov. So not doing well. You went really rogue with your fronts. your picks, your three picks, from what I remember. That, I did Shapovalov, uh, Lajevic really and Shardy. Yep, went bold. Why, 
How much time do you spend thinking about them? <laughs> Not a lot. <laughs> I just want to try and pick people that um, other people don't pick. That's all. Oh, you did um, well. <laughs> but it means that I, I don't do not do very well because there's a reason that they're not picked. But I thought Shapovalov could uh, could make a good run. <laughs> but um, no. So you get... So I had Rublev from the start and he's still in there. He faces yep. well. By the time people listen to this, he might be out. So I'll give a backup to win it in case he's out by the time... Okay, fine. And you can you can have another. Who are you going now? You can you can change to change it. Well, because you had Medvedev, so you need to change. Um, oof, I'm so well, it, it's got to be Rublev or Sitsipas for me. I think I'd like to see Sitsipas come through and win. Oof. Then you know what? I'm going to stick with Rublev, and even if he's out, I'm just going to stick with him. And something <laughs> he's still going to win. Oh, I'm still going to win. <laughs> just going to stick with him. Um, the something that happened way way early on I don't even know if it's worth us talking about it now is is Vasic Pospisil outburst and the the PTPA and the, and the anger and the feeling that really brought the issues that we'd seen brought up in the US Open bubble about players having their own voice it really feels like it's kind of back on the front page again well he did completely lose it didn't he um very strange yeah. because it just was quite out of the blue. he was playing the first six games playing great we were like this is excellent. This is going to be a fun match, isn't it? And then just absolutely lost it. It took us a little while to pick up his train of thought as to what was what was going on. But um, yeah, he was absolutely livid that um, he had been spoken to in a particular way by, um, he, he called him the, the, the leader of the ATP, right? So uh, uh, yeah, it seems like there was lots of things happening behind the scenes um we know that there's tension about this ptpa thing the atp don't like it um they're actually saying it's not only that they don't like it it's just that it can't happen like it just can't happen it, it yeah, won't yeah. work in terms of the way that the sport is set up and run it cannot happen um and yeah he lost it but i tell you what he got it back together quite well i mean to go from a complete and utter capitulation saying that he's going to sue the organization if he gets defaulted that he's going to make him resign i mean absolutely lost it i don't know where but where on earth he went mentally he then sort of was like okay let's get this back together he was still sort of bubbling under for a while and then he just sort of played normally he won the second set we were we thought we were moments away from a default or like a walk-off yeah, we were like, like this it. match is yeah, done this match is absolutely done and then Skip forward to an hour later and he's like <laughs> toughing out the second set bit win. We didn't know what was going on, but um, yeah, not great for um, for Vasek, I'm afraid. No, I watch this space and I'm sure there'll be more. Um, can I, I think we've talked about this before. I want to talk about heat and heat and heat and cramp just because I know it can happen, especially in conditions like Miami. I don't know if we've seen an awful lot of it and I don't know whether it's because conditions are more extreme players have played less matches it's a hangover from last year and not playing a lot it might be none of those things but I think what got me was when Medvedev suffered from not that I'm saying that people who suffer from it are are not as fit or don't prepare as well but I think it really surprised me that Medvedev two in the world top seeds obviously meticulous and everything he does suffered as badly as he did because I think there was a part of me that never having played to any level would think it was based on fitness or lack of fitness which clearly isn't the case well it can also be preparation though as well sometimes you just might not prepare as well as you need to sometimes you can't if you have sort of a late finish and then you're on earlier you just don't quite get that turnaround time that you need um you might not have slept very well 
um, all of that, all of those things. When it comes to cramp, it's a lot about your salts and your hydration for the most part, as well as obviously your physical exertion, but also nerves, tension, all these sorts of things can contribute. So it's not just about fitness, although it plays a big, big part. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, uh, <laughs> is it bad that when he started cramping, I was kind of laughing because of the way he walked, he walked like, <laughs> he walked like a penguin. <laughs> but I I thought originally I thought he might be like taking the mick because he was just sort of like hobbling around but it didn't look like you know the normal cramp where players are sort of grimacing and they're sort of looking over to the camp and they're worried he just looked like I'm gonna carry on playing but I can't walk right now so I'm just gonna sort of make my way to the baseline in this ridiculous way I thought it was quite funny well thing is you've got this sort of fairly sort of comedy moustache to go with the whole effect. And then he's got this very straight-legged walk and he can't move. Alexi Poprin didn't know what on earth was going on. Somehow Medvedev was was able to get through and, and come out the other side. What's your worst experience of cramp? Because I think it's for me that would terrify me, especially if someone like Medvedev thinking if he thought he'd prepared as well as he could, unless there's something in the background we don't know about, as you say, like no sleep or he hadn't done anything as he sh- everything as he should have done. But the fact it can just come from nowhere and hit anyone, surely that kind of thing stays in the back of, back of your mind for sort of maybe the next match or the match afterwards. I've not had cramp really badly at all in a match. Now, I would say, argue that's because I'm so professional uh, and that my preparation <laughs> and physical abilities were just okay. far superior. My right. coaches would probably say, well, you should have tried harder in matches then because everybody <laughs> should get to the point where they are cramping. And if you have not done that, you probably weren't trying very hard. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Um, so it's up to you who you choose to believe. I know which camp I sit in. Um, but um, no, I did. Uh, I used to get bad cramps at night. Uh, if I was playing sort of in, in Australia or, or something like that, um, particularly calf cramps, that's just the sort of thing that I would get if I was low on salt or hydration. Um, and uh, yeah, waking up in the middle of the night. Is that also tension as well? Would that mm. be? Yeah, I mean, it can be. I mean, it really can be so many different things. Um, but uh, yeah, I wasn't sort of a huge cramper like that because I was so professional just on the record (laughs) um, but yeah I would sometimes sort of in the in the evenings or or at night but I don't remember ever in a match cramping I've seen a couple of like full body cramps we've seen them on the tour as well they're really not nice to watch at all it just looks like somebody's being tortured but I think when you've had well, I mean, I've had significant cramp in training as well. I'm just sort of thinking more about... I've had lots of cramping in, in training. Um, and, you know, it's... So why would you cramp in training and not in a match? Well, now, some might say... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, that maybe I was trying harder. I don't know. Uh, no, I mean, in, in, say, a training <laughs> block where you're you're putting in some serious, serious hours. I was in the right. in the Florida heat in Tampa, not Miami. Uh, in Tampa and uh, yeah it was uh, yeah that's tough going in that humidity so and that's what it is it's the sweat like you see you're losing the moisture so it's not necessarily just heat it is a lot more about sort of that that sweat but um, yeah when you've experienced bad cramp I mean you know how bad it is but you also know that it will end so you just even somebody who's full body cramping it's not nice to watch but you, you do know like it will be over they'll be all right no but you know it'll be over but in terms of in a match the chances of it's full body cramp, the match is over. Yeah, I mean, pretty that's much, the yeah. thing, isn't it? I, yeah, you know, I, I don't think anyone that gets cramp thinks they're never not going to have cramp. But the problem is, in, and I imagine it, you get it in a match, 
it's an important match, so you're tense and so it's harder to get rid of the cramp because you're not just, if someone says relax, you're not going to relax. You think, well, hang on a sec, there's a place in a quarterfinal or a semi-final of a Masters at stake. So you're telling me to relax. My body is doing completely the opposite. So I imagine it's very difficult to get your mindset to a place to get rid of the cramp there and then. Yes, it is. And also, it uh, it's... In my experience, it's sort of coming on. You're sort of almost cramping for quite a while after each point. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah, then you're sort of, um, you can feel it coming. So you're having to try and relax. You're having to try and shake things out. Um, So you, I I don't know, it's like sort of pre-cramping. So somebody like an Andrescu back years ago when she was winning Indian Wells or playing Miami and she was very fatigued, she would be saying things like, I'm cramping to her team, but would be actually sort of fine to play. She was just obviously exhausted. But I think that was sort of like, I'm about to go. <laughs> I am about to go. <laughs> and you, But you can bring it back, though, because she ended up not going into sort of a full full body cramp or full leg cramp or whatever it is. You can bring it back. But it's so hard because it just builds the tension. You're just like, I'm going to cramp. I'm going to cramp. I'm going to cramp. <laughs> this is a disaster. Um, so it's not helpful at all because all you need to do is relax. Um, and that is uh, yeah one of the hardest things. Well, yeah, if someone's yelling at you, relax, and and you feel as though you're about to have a complete full body cramp or a bit of you is about to go into spasm, that's the last thing you actually want to do. It's interesting listening to Hubert Hercatch, who's as we speak through the quarterfinals. He spent seven months or f- sorry five months during lockdown in Miami because he went to train with his coach Craig Boynton. So he said in terms of the conditions, humidity, everything, he said it's fine. And against Milos Raonic, Raonic was. It went the distance. You did that match, didn't you? But at the end, you ran. I, I, just, I don't know how Raonic lasted towards the end of that con. And I think he was quite thankful when it was over. He was struggling a lot from the beginning of the second set, yeah, uh, physically, and he managed to really kind of dig down into his last reserves in the third, and then it he just didn't have anything left for the tiebreak. And Herkash looked pretty comfortable, to be honest. But yeah. you know, cramping is something that we deal with in tennis more than a, a lot of sports. It's something that, um, yeah, we. It's a very explosive sport. There's a lot of impact, a lot of slamming the brakes on. There's so much going through your muscles. Um, and that is, uh, yeah, that's a big part of the cramping because the more explosive you are, almost the more draining it is for your muscles. Um, and tennis just sort of falls into that category quite nicely. There are other sports as well. It's not unique to tennis, of course, but uh, we do see it fairly regularly. Also, we pretty much follow the sun around for most of the year. So we're always playing in quite hot like these sort of conditions in Miami whilst they're testing with the with the humidity it's quite standard to be honest in terms of what players will train in and what they will sort of um, be competing in most of the year um but yeah I mean hey Hercatch likes playing in Florida doesn't he he won Delray Beach at the beginning of the the year and he's not lost in Miami there's something about the Miami humidity I remember training there one August before um US Open and I just thought, what am I doing? What am I doing? This is, it's, it's like sticking your head in an oven. It was unbelievable, the humidity. I mean, the good news was I went to New York and I was like, well, this is a piece of cake. The bad news was my tennis wasn't in great shape because all I was trying to do was survive when I was training in Miami. I wasn't actually able to work on anything. It was, got to New York and I was like, this is, this is easy. Nothing here, even though you can get bad humidity in New York as well. Uh, so that was a bit of a disaster. Didn't do that again. A <laughs> couple of things before we go. We, um, we've had a lovely email from Saif and people can get in touch with us on Twitter. Also the website, tennispodcast.com if you want to write a little bit more. And I'm 
going to respond personally, Saif, to you, but just want to say we really both appreciated it, didn't we? Because Saif said he discovered us last winter when he wasn't in a great place. We had lockdown and the weather wasn't great and it was around December time. And he said the weather in Washington, D.C. didn't help. But he found our conversation so relaxing. And he went deep into our archives. He listened to previous episodes, really enjoyed it. He said, thank you for keeping me company. He had a couple of questions, though. Did the donkey soap work? Oh. Remember, remember, yeah. I bought you the donkey soap back because it gives beautiful skin. Well, my yep. mum has glowing reports about it, says it's fabulous. I don't know if she necessarily feels she's 10 years younger. Did well, it depends what you define as work. As in, did it operate as soap? It did. <laughs> did it clean me? It did. <laughs> did it make you feel younger? No. Oh. Okay. No. <laughs> okay. No. But you know, but look, successful on on a lot of it. I mean, it's soap, and it was good soap. There you go. Okay. okay. So that's all right. Soap, Thank you. I appreciate it. It was really. Uh, do you know it? It was also very nice. It was lovely soap. Thank you. Yeah. All right. It's a pleasure. He asked, and this is a good one. You know, Dominic Team's mother, Karen, was getting yep. a tattoo for every tournament. Do we know <laughs> what tattoo she got after the U.S. Open? <laughs> no. No. But I just can't wait until the back end of Team's career, and she's just like fully covered in tattoos. She could sell advertising space. <laughs> she <laughs> That's what's going to happen. It's going to be the teams in the boxes now. They're going to be selling the advertising have... space, but aren't they? You know what, Saif? We'll have a look into this, or maybe someone listening will know, but it's got to be a big one. For a Grand Slam, it's got to be a big tattoo. Surely well, I don't. Well, it can't. It can't because what if he wins like another ten of them? It yeah, but it's got to. It's, you've got to mark the difference between the events. So two fifty, five hundred thousand, and Grand Slam. There's got to be. A, I think there's got to be a size differential, if I'm honest. And he would also love Jill Cravis back on the show because he listened oh, to the episodes when we were all. Yeah, we love oh, Jill. We can sort that out. We, as I say, we love to take suggestions if you want guests. Um, definitely. So, Saif, I'm going to reply to him, but thank you so much. We're really glad you enjoy the pods. Um, secondly, Easter. Well, you're lucky. Your little one's too young. I've got to double up as the Easter bunny. This Very nice. Week. He's doing a hunt. Yeah, our garden's not huge, but yes. But the thing is, we're gonna to have to do it the night before because they're gonna be up at about six o'clock, sort of scratching at the window to to get outside. They keep asking, when does the Easter bunny come? How much chocolate do they bring? What time will he be there? Will he leave a bucket to put the eggs in? I mean, the list I've got in terms of what I've got to gather is a lot. Well, they're organised. I like it. They want to know what's what. They get stacked up with chocolates and then they go into like a chocolate coma for the rest of the day. I know them well. In in between prepping matches for the quarter semis and final, I've got to somehow buy eggs, hide eggs, and then at some point hide eggs in the house and at some point hide them in the garden and hope it doesn't rain because I've seen the weather forecast and apparently it's going to snow on Monday. (laughs) It's ridiculous. No, not kidding. It's ridiculous. It's gonna, yesterday it was 22 degrees in the UK and... Celsius for all you Americans. Sorry, sorry, yes. Uh, that was Wednesday. Monday it's going to be minus one and with 60% chance of snow. Yeah, so again, for the Fahrenheit lot, cold. Oh, sorry, sorry, yes. Okay, <laughs> right. Okay, on, on that cheerful note <laughs> to be of fair, snow I and think, Easter eggs. I think the Fahrenheit lot understand the Celsius much better than Celsius understand Fahrenheit. <laughs> Okay. I don't understand Fahrenheit at all. Let us know if that's true or not. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so I'm off to, you know what, I think I might go and start hiding some eggs. That's a good idea, isn't it? Um, Good luck. And and we will we will reconvene next week. We will. We'll have some Miami champions. Yay! Bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye.